I like the new video that um, I think it's the AUC or the SPD. I don't know which one, which entity has created, but it's fantastic. Um, we're going to be showing this video kind of periodically to so that um, uh, you know member, members as well as visitors can know what the money is going towards. I think it's a good way to to be reminded um, of, of of that. And also, we're hoping this year to also share with you uh, where your local church offering money goes to as well, the various ministries and the budgets that we fund here at the local level. So we'll be able to um, share more of that information with you as the year goes by. This week was quite the week, wasn't it? Um, I remember a Tuesday morning waking up with, with the smell of the smoke kind of filling the house and then finding out that that was the day that uh, Melbourne's air quality was declared the worst in the world. Um, and, you know, if you were uh, outside during that day and, and um, especially if you were in the city and you just saw this thick smoke that enveloped uh, Melbourne, it was quite um, incredible, really. Um, Micah has asthma and so this whole week he has been wheezing and just, you know, on the puffer um, every three to four hours. And I just thought to myself, how much worse it would be for people who are closer to the fires and actually going through um, and having to live in those areas. And, of course, all the emergency and relief organizations that are in the thick of it. Um, and it's it's truly a devastating time for Australia. And I was, I was reading about kind of okay, well, how much damage has it done? Um, what, what has been kind of the summary of effect so far? And there's different sources, but based on... Um, uh, here's a picture of Tuesday. Um, based on the various sources and, and um, information from um, the Guardian and um, World uh, Wildlife Foundation, etc., here are some statistics, the sobering statistics that have come out. The fires um, that have, the bushfires that have gone through Australia since September, you can see compared to other major fire events, the number of acres burnt, um, an estimated 10.7 million hectares of land um, have been raised. And that land amount mass is larger than the total area. Uh, a lot of the newspaper articles were comparing it to larger than the country of South Korea, um, which for me personally, I, I you know, can visualize kind of, um, bigger than the country of Portugal and 1.3 times the size of Scotland. So can you just kind of try to picture how much land has been devastated by these fires? Since September, at least 30 people have died because of the bushfires, um, and about 3,000 <coughs> homes have been lost. And according to World uh, Wildlife, it's been estimated that around 1.25 billion animals have been killed across Australia to date including thousands of koalas. I'm sure you've heard about Kangaroo Island, about, about how 30,000 koalas are estimated to have been decimated there. Um, kangaroos, wallabies, you know, cockatoos, so many of our Australian wildlife that we love so dearly um, have been devastated um, by these fires. And these numbers do not include insects and bats and frogs and, you know, so many other wildlife. This is just kind of the the animals and, and birds. These images are haunting. Um, they jar us because it is not normal. It is not okay for this to happen. Something is wrong here. The land is crying out. And what is it saying? What is the land saying to us? 
some have different answers to what is happening. You know, and, and there's words like apocalyptic, there's words about climate change, just lots of buzzwords going around. I want to focus today on what is the land crying out to us based on what the Bible has shared with us about the meaning of the land. And so I want to go through um, a Christ-centered worldview, a biblical worldview about the land with, with us today in order for us to understand how then we, as people who try to follow Jesus, respond to what is happening. As I was, um, a part of this sermon came through my conversations with various friends. Um, my friends uh, Celia and Jody and Bronwyn um, have, we were talking and praying about what's happening with the bushfires and, and the theology of the bushfire. What, 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 what is God thinking of all this? What is happening? Um, it, it really made me ponder and, and hence came this sermon. Um, and also Celia and Bauman helped me write the discussion questions and also helped me come up with the action plan. Um, so I'm really grateful for their contribution to this. There is a strong and deep connection between humanity, God, and the earth. And this is something that I think I kind of knew in theory, but it wasn't until as I studied this and thought about this and prayed about this more this week that it really solidified in my mind, you know. We often think about our love for God and love for others. And we often talk about that, you know, that's our, um, our vision and mission statement as a church, etc. But I realized that in the Bible, never ever were love for God and love for humanity separated from love for the rest of his creation. Let me give you, an, we're going to go through some examples of that. The very beginning in Genesis, when God created, created humanity, humanity was not created in a vacuum. They were created into an ecosystem. God said in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals in the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings. Oh, sorry, I'm going to go back to that. God created human beings um, in the image, uh, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So when it says that God was crea- uh, the humanity was created in God's image, right? We were created to become to be like God. We're God's children, bearing His image, right? Acting out what God would act out, and part of that image is to actually govern, lead, sustain, promote, cultivate life, because that's what God does. And He says, "I want you to do the same." One of the first things that God asked Adam and Eve to do were to cultivate the garden, and to, and Adam was asked to name each and every living thing. We read on in Genesis chapter 2 that God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. And when you look and study the original words about cultivating and tending and guarding and governing, these are all words that have deep theological meaning. It's not just, here's some pretty things for you to enjoy. This was a divine commission. And I would say that it's just an important commission as the Great Commission, right? We often talk about the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations, but one of the first commissions that humanity was given was to actually govern the earth and to take care of it. 
um, when Adam was, was, it says that God out of the ground, Lord God made every animal of the field and every bird of the sky. He brought them to the man to find out what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living thing, that was its name. Genesis 2 verse 20. Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. This was the first thing that Adam as a human being did. He, he was able to meet each creature. And, you know, I just love this picture of God presenting each creature to Adam. You know, God could have said, hey, Adam, this is a dog. But instead, God brought the animal to Adam and said, what, what name do you want to give it? You know, I want you to get to know this animal. So, you know, imagine Adam, you know, petting it and, and playing with it, interacting. What name should I give this? It's furry, you know, it's, and, and trying to think of a good name for it. Can you imagine, you know, parents spend months trying to think of a name for one baby? Can you imagine Adam's naming each animal, giving it something, you know, a unique name? And we don't know what those names are because we don't use the language that he used back then. But, you know, he went through that intimate process of personally engaging with God's creation. And it wasn't just because God wanted them to coexist on the earth. God wanted humanity to intimately govern and, 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 and take care of and leave and serve the animals. It is our mandate to love nature as we are called to love God and to love others. There is this thir third dimension that we are called to, which is to love the earth. Like I said, I didn't really understand this to its full extent until this week. You see, my mom loves nature. Nothing makes her happier than being amongst flowers. She always sends me, like, almost weekly, if not daily, pictures of flowers, right? Close-ups of her own flowers or random people's flowers that she's, like, walking by and she takes pictures of or flowers she finds on the Internet that she thinks are pretty and she sends to me. I have so many memories as a child in America of we're driving somewhere and my mom would say, oh, stop, pull over, pull over. And my dad, being a wonderful husband, pulls over on the side of the highway because in America, um, I don't notice it as much here, but in the U.S., we have median dividers between the opposite um, lanes of the highway and they've a lot of places will plant wildflowers um, uh, in the middle. And my mother makes my dad pull over every single time so that she can get out of the car and get over there and she starts reveling in their beauty, smelling them in and she's calling out to us, come out and see, come out and smell and we're like slinking lower, like so embarrassed and, you know, rolling our eyes and saying, can we please just get to our destination? And, and to us, we're like, I mean, these are particularly pretty ones but sometimes they're just... In my eyes, like, yeah, they're okay. But she just, you know, ecstasy every single time. And, you know, she, most of her life she lived in an apartment, so she wasn't able to have a garden, which is like, you know, the tragedy of her soul. And then finally when she was able to, to have a garden of her own after many, many years, and, and she loved it, and, and she would call out to us, there's a new leaf on the zucchini plant. Come and see. And I would be like, no, mom, I really don't care. And I would go back to reading my book, you know, or I would say, I'm, I'm okay, good for you, good for the plants. You know, I, I just grew up thinking, this is her hobby, this is her passion, this is her interest, I have other interests, and that's okay. But I realize now it's not okay. 
this week as I was studying all these things, I realized, you know, I've been, you know, every time um, our family had to go out in nature, like camping, I would moan and groan, right? And even now, like, I married a husband who loves the outdoors, and, you know, he every year is like, let's go camping, and I'm like, no, let's go get an Airbnb, right? Um, and I always thought to my, that my indifference and even hostility towards a lot large part of nature, like, especially birds and insects and fish, I don't like any of them, I, I thought it was all a result of me just having a different personality, having, having different interests. But as I was studying these passages, I really was convicted. I had a thunderbolt kind of paradigm shift. As I realized, God wants me to care. You know, all those years that I was like, Mom, that's not what I care about, you know. I'm reading my books or I'm doing this. And, you know, all those years, I realize now that my mom, oh, you know, of course, naturally has that more. But my mom understood that there was something in creation that we were designed to care for that we were meant to have this intimate relationship and to delight in his creation. And so this week I, I messaged her and said, um, how's your garden? And I think I gave her the shock of her life because I have never cared, right? And, and I realized I'm supposed to stop and smell the roses, that God actually created us to not just care, as in um, have an interest in nature, but to actively engage in bringing out its full potential. I always viewed stewardship as minimizing harm to the earth, right? So I've even preached, I think, a couple years ago when, when the plastic bag ban came about in Woolworths and Coles, and, and I shared about how we should, we should, yeah, not use plastic as much as possible. I've always thought of stewardship as minimizing the harm to the earth, but now I'm realizing that stewardship is delighting in God's creation and nurturing and cultivating and fostering it to its full potential, about proactively, intentionally engaging with it. And so I, I have come to this paradigm shift, and, and, you know, I've always loved going to the zoo because it's, it's in there and I'm out here and, you know, <laughs> there is no interaction. But now I'm realizing I'm supposed to go outside and look at the tree in front of my house and spend time you know, looking at the leaves, interacting with it, appreciating, thanking God for it, um, and the same for for everything else that's around us um, locally as well as around Australia and the world. The truth is that the modern world has disconnected us from the land. We live like this. This is um, a cartoon that, that Celia had in her app and that... Um, you know, we live from box to box, right? We go to work, we go home, we watch TV, we, we sleep, and, you know, it, box to box to box. We are so disconnected. And even when we do interact with nature, it's like this. Life has become too mad, too fast, too unreal. I need to get my hands on the soil. Can you help me to the soil department, please? And it costs us eighty-seven forty-nine, right? Cash or card. Then we go home, open up a box, and there we are. Is, and this is, and even when we do, you know, when I think about, well, what has been my interaction with nature? Well, you know, I, I flew on a plane to Hawaii. Then I went to the beach and I enjoyed the view. And then I went home. And I, I realize now, like, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just realizing that's, 
that's not the only way <laughs> to direct and appreciate nature. It doesn't have to be something that costs a lot. It doesn't have to be something that is this grand thing. It could simply just be go on a walk and, and listen to the birds and, 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 and realize that they need water on a hot day. And, you know, just it's, it's the daily awareness as well as the intentional engagement with the nature that is here and now. Sadly, because we have been so disconnected from the land, and myself included, we have grown not only indifferent, but violent towards the earth. And instead of nurturing and cultivating it to its full potential, we exploit it for our selfish and greedy pursuits. And the land cries out. There's a verse in Isaiah 24, verse 5, that says, The earth suffers for the sins of its people, for they have twisted God's instructions, violated his laws, and broken his everlasting covenant. There is such an intimate connection with the earth and with humanity that God has faded us together. And this was such a fascinating topic for me as I was studying it throughout the scriptures this week. That whenever God uses covenant language, uh, covenant is just another word for um, a contract, a pledge, a promise made between two parties where there are consequences for breaking that covenant and there's also blessings for keeping it. And, And every time the covenant was talked about in the Bible, I always, once again, thought it was about God and humanity. Humanity with each other, right? Loving God, loving each other. But as I studied every time kind of the word covenant came out in the Bible, I realized, you know, again, as an epiphany, that covenant with God has always been God, humanity, and creation. Let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 3, you know, right after we've already looked at how God, um, when he created humanity, created humanity in part to govern and, and, to, and to cultivate um, the earth. But then once humanity sinned, the land and humanity are so closely faded together that the ground gets cursed because of humanity's sin. And it's so interesting when you, when you read the scripture here and it talks about how not only is the ground cursed, it will gives examples of how that happens, it, is, it will grow thorns and thistles for you. Um, and he talks about at the end that humanity will return to the ground because you were taken from the ground. You are dust and you will return to dust. And there is this intimate bond between the earth, the dust, the humanity that came from the dust, the plants and the animals that came from the dust, right? We ha- we are, we, our fate is one. Humanity sins, the earth suffers. The earth suffers, humanity suffers, right? It's like this ongoing cycle that sadly humanity does not want to break often. We, we perpetuate that cycle. And we see that again um, a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 6 to 9, that again the earth is cursed uh, because of human sinfulness. So, so much so that God sends a flood that wipes out um, everything, all living creature that is not safely inside the ark. And after many months, when um, Noah and his family and all the animals that were in the ark come out, look at this first time in the Bible that the word covenant is used. Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. 
God says to Noah, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again with, will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This is the first time covenant language is used in the Bible, and notice how it's not a, a covenant between God and humanity. It's a covenant between God, humanity, and every living creature. And years later, when covenant language comes up again, when God is speaking to a man named Abraham, whom God called to, to be the, the father of a great generation or, or descendants and, and people group uh, called Israelites, he made a covenant with him and the land. Genesis chapter 15, verses 17 and 18. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning, burning torch that passed between uh, their pieces of, of birds that um, there were their sacrifices. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then for hundreds of years, right, every descendant of Abraham held on to this promise of the land, right? It wasn't just about, Abraham, I'm going to give you children. Like, that was definitely a promise that he held to. But it was, I'm going to give you children who are going to possess this land. Okay? There was this intimate tie between humanity and the earth in that covenant relationship. And when uh, the descendants later on became this multitude of Israelites, and God brings them out of slavery in Egypt and, and is bringing them finally to this promised land. God institutes various laws to help them to remember their role as stewards. And I'll just give you uh, one example. There's many, but I'll just give you this one. This is my favorite one. In Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 to 12, God told the Israelites, plant and harvest your crops for six years. But let the lands be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and olive groves. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working. This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest. It also allows your slaves and the foreigners living among you to be refreshed. You see, ethics and morality for God was never just about our interpersonal human relationships. It was always linked with how we also treated the earth. It has always been love for God, love for others, love for his creation. But we have failed that. Not only have we failed our love for God and love for others, but we have really, really, really dismally failed our love for the earth. And we have seen the consequences of that throughout history, but especially right now here in Australia. And it's sad because when we look at history, we haven't really learned a lot. When the Israelites lived, you know, they, they possessed the promised land. God kept his end of the covenant. God gave them the land. But the Israelites did not, did not uphold their end of the covenant. And so as time goes by, 
they completely disobey God. They're mistreating each other. They mistreat the earth. And finally, after prophet after prophet, messenger after messenger of God saying, stop, change your ways, right? Turn back to the principles I gave you. And they completely disregard him. After many, many years, God says, all right, enough is enough. And he sends them into exile. And there's this, um, and he had warned them that this would happen. In, in the book of Leviticus chapter 26, when he was giving them the laws, he says, hey, if you don't keep, for example, this law about resting the land every, every um, seventh year, he says, I will scatter you among the nations and will drop my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the time that it lies desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths that you lived in it. That is stunning to me that God is saying, hey, you were supposed to rest the land. You were supposed to rest the animals. You were supposed to let your servants rest, right? The Sabbath, not only the seventh day Sabbath, but also the seventh year Sabbath, right? And, and then after 49 years, the seven times seven, there was supposed to be this 50th year of jubilee where all the f- slaves were like freed, where all the land that had been taken because, you know, you're poor and you, you didn't have money and so you sold your land. On the 50th year, the land went back to you even though you don't have to pay, like it was, everything was restored. It was this wonderful time of jubilee. I love that word. I really wanted to name, um, if we had a girl, I wanted to name her jubilee and color Billy, which I thought was adorable. And Rogue was like, no. <laughs> but I love that idea of freedom, of restoration, right? of justice, of redemption. But the Israelites completely disregarded it. They didn't keep, keep the seventh-day Sabbath. They didn't keep the seventh-year Sabbath. They didn't keep the 50-year Sabbath. And so God says, for all the years that they had been on the promised land and had not kept that rest for the land, you are now kicked out of that land, and I'm going to give that land rest. And he does. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, you know, after they've been exiled. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, who was a, a messenger of the Lord, was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolated until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. And, and this, like I said, this wasn't the only reason they were exiled. They were cheating and lying and mistreating people and exploiting the poor and there were lots of things that they were doing wrong, but one of the things that they were doing was they neglected to care for the land. The land cried out for justice, and God heard that cry. The land is crying out today. The land is crying out for us to change its fate, which is linked out to ours. I'm not saying that the bushfires are judgments from God. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm presenting is that the bushfires are alarming cries of the land telling us that something is wrong. And that something is the sinfulness of humanity past and humanity present who continue to make selfish choices that disregard God's call to love God, to love others, and to love his creation. And it's the alarm bells of a land that is desperately longing for a day when the earth will be freed along with us from the consequences of sin. In the book of Romans, which is um, a letter that was written by a missionary in the first century named Paul, he says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. 
Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. You see, the new covenant that, that, that is brought to us by Jesus that allows us to have freedom and salvation and redemption as human beings is not just for us. It's for us and the land. It's for us to implement so that we learn to forgive and to love and to care for each other, for God, and also for the land. In Psalm chapter 96, verse 11 to 13, there's a beautiful imagery of judgment as redemption for the earth. It says, Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. We, we always think about, you know, we can't wait for Jesus to come so that the injustice and the suffering and the pain and the death can end. But the Bible is full of verses like this where the earth, the trees, the flowers, the animals are groaning and waiting eagerly for God to come. Because judgment is good news for the suffering. Bad news for the perpetrator, though. Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, God says, The nations were angry and your wrath has come. Uh, it's not God, sorry, this is the, uh, the writer John um, who received visions from God. He says, The nations were angry and the wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Just as the Israelites were judged for their abuse of the land, God says, hey, those who destroy the earth, you will have judgment as well. The judgment comes not just to uh, bring about justice for humanity, but it comes to bring about justice and redemption for the whole earth, for all of crea- creation. And I love how in Revelation, uh, as, as, it's, uh, as John is receiving visions of the judgment and the restoration, there's this um, image of worship. Um, where he says in Revelation chapter 5, I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Right? All, these, all, the, um, all the living beings are, are worshiping the Lamb, worshiping Jesus, saying, Because of you, we can have redemption. Because of you, we can have the hope of restoration. But it's not just them that are singing. It says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. Can you imagine every creature Right in the sky, in the land, under the sea, each in their own voices, each in their own way, singing glory and praise to their creator. Why? Because Jesus showed us 
what the heart of the creator is like. Because he created us and we messed up and he could have left us to self-destruct. But he didn't. Despite the fact that he knew that they would destroy him, despite the fact that he knew many would reject him, Jesus chose to become and, and be a baby, to be a human being, to, to walk on the ground, and then ultimately to die, not just for humanity, but for all of creation. The creator submitted himself to his creation in the ultimate act of love and self-sacrifice, and thus showed the heart of the creator, and thus showed what it means for us to live in the image of God. That we are supposed to then carry out that love for each other and for creation. To rule like him with justice and mercy. To serve like him with compassion and patience. And it's all possible because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but also because of what Jesus continues to do for us today. And that is to give us through the Bible new revelations of what he's like and what he's calling us to be but also strength through the Holy Spirit to change and to, and, to, and to care now for the things we didn't used to care about and to change our habits and actions as difficult as that might be. Here's another beautiful image of that future restoration. <coughs> it says in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, <coughs> excuse me, that when justice has come, when Jesus has come again, and when God has recreated the earth, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, and the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of a deadly snake without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. You see, when we know the Lord better and better, we become not destroyers of the earth, but caretakers of the earth. And when we grow in our relationship with God, our love for him, our love for others, and our love for his creation grow right, in proportion, in, in, in direct relationship, all, all three tangled and tied together, and ultimately, the earth will be filled with those who are intent on loving um, God, loving others, and his creation. So in the meantime, what are we to do? The land is crying out for us to live differently. Now, I was, I was talking to Bron and Cyrilia about, you know, what are some practical things we can do? And I, like, I love how Bronwyn put it. She said, I think that living simply and being content with what we have can go a long way. As they say... Live simply so that others may simply live. Live simply so that others may simply live. Because, oh, we live with so much stuff. I have so much stuff, right? You know, we're such a consumerist society, right? So many clothes, so many gadgets, like just so much. And, and, and because we're, we don't live simply, right? We, we have this wire for that and this for this device. You know, we have so much complicated stuff, Um and we don't realize that each one of those things is taking away life, you know, 
in its creation, in its distribution, in its you know consumption, in, in in the in you know every time we plug in a device, kind of energy and and all that stuff, we don't really think about it. I hadn't really thought about it, but how we live our lives, um, and and the Bible talks about living simple lives, right? Living content lives that 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 we actually will be happy without the latest X, Y, and Z, right? That we actually can be happy without um, that next thing that we're always pursuing, that we actually can be simple already and content with what we have. And, you know, this is not just an echo of um, the environmentalist worldview, you know. The Christian worldview is not just an echo of the, of the call to, um, to take care of the earth. The, the call for a Christian is deeper than that because of our relationship with the Creator, that we recognize that the call for Christians is not just to live a happy life, but to live a life that promotes life, to live a life that makes it possible for others to live, other people, right, as well as other creatures, a life that cultivates all of creation to worship and glorify our Creator. That is our purpose, to enable all of creation to worship and glorify God. So not just to save nature, right? Not just to take care of it, but to enable it to worship and glorify him. To listen to the cries of the land. To listen to the cries of others. To respond to them and take responsibility by changing our habits and attitudes and actions. So here are seven ways that you can um, practically help. First is to pay attention. As I shared with you I have been very indifferent slash hostile to a lot of nature, but I am resolved now to to, to change that. Um, I'm going on a walk later this afternoon, right? I'm going to pay attention to what's around me instead of just being like, okay, I'm going to get through this, right? That I'm going to pay attention to, I've got this ant infestation in my house, and I was so creeped out, you know? I was like, bro, I get rid of them, right? Get them out of my kitchen. Get them out of my bathroom. And, um, and, uh, I, I just saw them as a menace, right? But now I'm real. I'm 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 yesterday as I was preparing for this sermon, and I, I saw them crawling across, and I I was like, you know what? That little thing comes from a very long distance away. It takes them a long time to get to where it's needed. It's incredible, right? It's an incredible um, insect that God has created, and it just it's making me stop and pay attention. You know, um, in in her app songs from a strange land, Celia mentions how you know we, you know, we cry out about saving the environment and doing good things, but we drive by the trees that are crying out for water. You know, and she talks, and there's a quote about how this tree that was in the middle of a, a particular green district where everybody was talking about, you know, let's save the environment, but no one had watered that tree. That tree was dying. And so the importance of just looking around us and actually paying attention to the nature around us and not just theorizing about it. But also, it is important to be a voice for nature. Since they're crying out, but not in human voices, we have to give our human voices to them so that we can bring about change through policies and our actions. You can also donate. There are various um, organizations that you can donate to, the World Wildlife Fund. There's the Wires Wildlife Rescue Fund, where volunteers are going into the burnt areas um, afterwards and rescuing the animals, um, if, if it's safe to do so. 
Um, there's Zoos Victoria, uh, where the vets are actually helping these animals get better and also doing research to help prevent this for the future. And Brahman told me about this one. I didn't know about this one. Giveit.org.au. It's a donation broker where um, they gather the needs that various organizations give about money or about items. And they put it all on this website so that you can go on the website and you can either just give money or you can say, I want to give this item. Um, so it's, it's a really great website. I just found out about this week. You can leave water bowls out on hot days for birds and insects and other wildlife to come and have a drink. Takes very little effort. You can eat less meat. Um, according to various research, and, and uh, there's an article in the Huffington Post about how greenhouse gas emissions from the agribusiness are a bigger problem than fossil fuels. And according to this article, the single most effective action you can take to combat climate change is to stop eating meat. To get a single pound of beef, it takes over 5,000 gallons of water. And as the number one consumer of fresh water in the world, Animal agriculture is increasing the problem of water scarcity. So if you eat less meat, you're helping to um, you're helping the environment. Also, unplug your devices. Um, vampire power is, is the term for even if you're not using the you know let's say your phone, um, even if it's turned off, if it's plugged in, it's actually still drawing power. Um, and so you know that little red switch, you know the little button, turn it off, turn it off when you don't need it. Um, and also just unplug in general, right? We spend so much time on our devices. Unplug, turn them off, turn the power off, and then go out into nature, connect with people, connect with God, read his word. And finally, um, pray and confess. I believe in the power of prayer. You know, when, when Solomon um, uh, organized the building of the temple for God and, and he has this great dedication and he has this wonderful dedication prayer and God responds to the prayer and he says this he says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land you see there is like I said this intimate connection between humanity and the land when we sin, the land suffers. And when we confess and, and, and seek God and come back to God, the land is restored as well. So let's pray for forgiveness for the ways that we have turned away from God, the ways that we have mistreated each other, the ways that we have abused the earth. Let's pray for sustained rain in the needed areas, for the brave men and women who are in the front lines battling the fires, for the victims and the families and the farmers who have lost everything, for the medical staff and the volunteers of various organizations who are doing their best to promote life. I believe that as we ask God to heal our hearts from the selfishness that reigns in our hearts, that God will not only heal our relationship with him, but will heal our land. And as we Christians reclaim our role as champions of the land and caretakers of God's creation, we can reclaim our place as children of God. So it is my prayer that we might live a life worthy of his name. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for these two incredible individuals. They both have such incredible hearts. And we have been so blessed to have them with us. And we're going to miss them very much. 
but we know that you have a special plan for each of their lives. We pray for Sarah, that you'll be with her during those um, difficult hours as a nurse, caring for others, that you would give her strength and that you would sustain her, give her wisdom, help her to remember all the training she's had, and to also gain an, an invaluable experience there. And we pray for her to be able to find a church community, to find f- friends and people that she can uh, feel like are her family there. We also pray for Olivia, that as she is kind of in limbo um, and uncertain of what's to come, that you will give her that assurance that you have a plan for her life and that wherever that future may be, um, that she's in your hands and that you will um, continue to bless her and continue to guide her in her future endeavors as well. And so, Father, we, um, we're, we're so um, sad, but also we're so incredibly grateful uh, for this time that we have with these two ladies. And we pray, Father, that you would um, um, help us to, to really be able to show them our love today. We pray in your son's name.